Good morning. How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? God is good all the time. I know I said my part and your part. I threw a curveball at you. Let's just uh, pray this morning as we come before the Lord's word. Father, this morning, we ask you to open the windows of heaven and pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. That we might know the hope of your calling. The riches of your glorious inheritance in the beloved. And the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe. We receive you now. In the name of your son Jesus. Amen. Excuse me. First Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. It's a very simple passage of scripture. You don't even need to turn there. You can actually memorize it by hearing it once. You probably already know it. It simply says. Sorry. It simply says. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, rejoice. The English translation doesn't do justice to the poetry that you find in the original Greek. Paul says, Pantote kairete, adialeptos prosukeste, in pante eucharistete. Do you hear that? Poetry. It's almost like Paul was thinking of a way to bring together a philosophy of life that boils down the Christian faith to a very simple recipe. He says, Pantote kairete. Rejoice always. And that word rejoice is actually simply the verbal form of the word joy. We tend to think of joy as a noun, something you either have or you don't have, something that happens to you or doesn't happen to you. When we talk about joy, we say, I lost my joy as a noun. Or we say, I experienced joy. As if it's this passive experience that joy just suddenly comes on you out of nowhere. You weren't looking for it, but joy just kind of hits you from heaven. And we kind of live our lives waiting for impartations of joy and and waiting for joy to happen and, and waiting to be passive recipients of joy. And we feel helpless if joy doesn't happen. I don't have any joy. But Paul says, no, you're not going to be a passive recipient of joy. You're going to be an active participant in joy. 
literally always be joying. That's what he says. Always be joying. Somebody asks you, what are you doing? I'm joying. I'm joying. You need to spend more time joying every day. You need to make it a practice to joy every day. Always be joying. And it's interesting that Paul uses the word always. When he uses the word always, he indicates that the act of rejoicing is inconsequential of your circumstance. Another translation, matter of fact, says, in all circumstances, rejoice. Because we tend to think that we can rejoice in good circumstances, but we cannot rejoice in difficult circumstances, and we've got it backwards. Actually, the more difficult the circumstances, the more important it is to rejoice in the midst of it. Why? Well, Philippians 4.4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Kairete in curio. Pantote, he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Why does he say rejoice in the Lord always? Because the Lord is always rejoicing. And if the Lord is always rejoicing, then all I need to do in order to rejoice is to plug into him. And if I plug into the Lord, I plug into his rejoicing and I'm able to rejoice. And you might say, Paul, you didn't know my circumstance when you said that. You must not be talking to me. I can understand why you're talking to somebody else, but you must not be talking to me. But we forget that Paul writes these words on his way to Rome where he knows that he will be sentenced to death by Caesar. He's writing this in the last days of his life when he's awaiting execution at the hands of the Romans. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. It's more important for me to rejoice now than ever before in my life. Why? Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Rejoicing is important because without rejoicing, you will find that you do not have the strength to make it through your difficult situations. Rejoicing in the midst of hardship is important because without rejoicing in the Lord in the midst of hardship, you will not have the strength to make it through your hardships. Now, you must understand that rejoicing in the Lord in the midst of hardships is not the same thing as denying that you have any hardships. It's not this word of faith thing where you just, know, you just don't, don't claim that. I got a headache. No, don't claim that. But no, but I really have a headache. No, no, don't, no, don't claim that. You better speak the truth. No, I truly have a headache. You heard that story about the man who went to his pastor. He said, Pastor, uh, the pastor said, how's your, how's your mom doing? He said, Mom, uh, my mom is not good, Pastor. She's sick. He says, no, don't say she's sick. Say she thinks she's sick. So he came the next week. The pastor said, how's your mom doing? He said, not good, pastor. Uh, she's sick. He said, no, no, no. Don't say she's sick. Say she thinks she's sick. The next week he came back. The pastor said, how's your mom doing? He said, not good, pastor. She thinks she's dead. That's a joke. Okay. It's not... You guys started grieving for that man. 
Rejoicing in the Lord is not the denial of the hardness of hardship, but the awareness of the empowerment of the Lord to endure it. I'm going to say that again. Rejoicing in the Lord, the act of rejoicing in the Lord is not the denial of the hardness of hardship. You can't say that word hardship. Got tongue-tied twice. It is simply the awareness of the empowerment of the Lord to empower you to endure hardship. It is the awareness of the power of God to enable you to endure it. This is why Hebrews 12 tells us to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It was the joy of the Lord that empowered him to endure the cross. If he didn't have joy, he couldn't have made it through the cross. We tend to think, I need to get through this trial in order to find joy. No, you need to find joy to get through this trial. I can't make it without his joy. I can't live a day without his joy. First order of the day for me is to find my rejoicing. To be an active participant in the joy of the Lord. The first order of the day, because I don't wake up rejoicing. I'm not one of those people that just wake up in the spirit. You know? Mm. I'm doing Pastor Daniels. You know, Pastor, just wakes up in the spirit. Oh, the fragrance. I wake up in the flesh. I wake up mad at people. I wake up irritated and the first order of the day is to get on my knees and to open up the word and to, and to move my soul into a place of rejoicing, not to move my soul to a place where I deny the reality of my pain, but simply to find the joy of the Lord in the midst of it. And once I've discovered the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord does not change my circumstance. I'm still fat. I still got problems. I wish the joy of the Lord would change some of that. Wouldn't that be awesome? I could just rejoice in the Lord and just be 20 pounds slimmer. I'd be rejoicing in the Lord always. (laughs) And that's the truth, isn't it? We would all be rejoicing in the Lord if it changed our circumstance. Rejoice always, Paul says. Just keep rejoicing. Jim Wilder talks about stages of maturity. And he says in each stage of maturity, there are certain lessons that you have to learn and certain skills that you have to acquire. And the skill that must be acquired in the infant stage of life is the skill of returning to joy in the midst of a troubling circumstance. What an infant must learn is that joy is my home. I may visit pain, but joy is my home. 
I may visit distress, but joy is my home. I might walk through troubling circumstances, but joy is my home. I've got to return to joy. When Paul says rejoice in the Lord always, he's actually not talking about a perpetual emotional experience. He's talking about the act of returning to joy in the midst of troubling circumstances. It doesn't mean that I'm never troubled. It doesn't mean that I'm never frustrated. It doesn't mean that I never feel fear or anxiety. If you think that it means that you're never supposed to experience any of all of that, you're going to feel frustrated. You're going to feel guilty. You're going to, feel, you're going to judge yourself, and you're going to be under the condemnation of the enemy. No, we all go through all of those things. The only question is, am I able to return to joy? And when I, need, when I find myself in a place where I can't seem to return to joy, that's when I know I need somebody to minister to me because it's not right for me not to be able to return to joy. I find myself in these moments where I can't return to joy. I'll call somebody in the phone and say, pray for me right now. I need to hear your prayers. What am I saying when I'm saying pray for me? I'm not saying pray that my situation changes. I'm saying help me return to joy. Help me experience a moment of the joy of the Lord in the midst of this hardship because once that moment comes where I reconnect to the joy of the Lord and I recognize that joy is my home, I have the strength to live another day. I got the strength to go back into the battlefield and fight a little longer. I got the strength to get back into the ring and go at it for another another round. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Always be joying. And then he says, Adialeptos prosukeste. Pray without ceasing. The word there, adialeptos, it literally means without intermission. Prayer is like an opera with many acts. But there should be no intermission between one act and the next. And so much happens in the intermission of prayer. Sin happens in the intermission of prayer. Unbelief happens in the intermission of prayer. Bitterness happens in the intermission of prayer. Fear happens in the intermission of prayer. And we find that when we realize that we've allowed an intermission of prayer and we bring the intermission to an end and return to prayer, all of a sudden we find that we come back to our place. My wife and I have been married nearly 18 years. And uh, in the natural, we don't like each other very much. Don't tell her I said that. Without Jesus, we would not be married right now. Let me just keep it real. We discovered after we got married, we got almost nothing in common. The only thing we have in common is Jesus. Now, thankfully, over the years, we've learned a lot about how to relate to one another in love. We learned some very valuable lessons. One of the valuable lessons we've learned, especially in the last year, is individuality. We've learned that intimacy requires individuality and influence. And if we, we focus on influence to the neglect of individuality, we experience our intimacy as control and manipulation. 
And if we focus on individuality to the neglect of influence, we, ex- we experience no intimacy at all. We experience separation. But when we can walk together as individuals with an individual walk with Christ who have given one another the right to influence, mutual influence, then all of a sudden we can share our journey with one another without trying to make the other do something or take something from the other. I'm simply sharing my journey with Christ with you, and you're sharing your journey with Christ with me. And we found that as we've learned that, we've learned to walk together as husband and wife without the constant bickering and the constant conflict that were were indicative of about the first seven years of our marriage. The first two years were hell. I tell people this all the time. We were in like Gehenna the first two years. And then the next two years, it was like Hades, you know. And then the next two years was like purgatory, you know. And then the next two years was like earth, you know. (laughs) We're on our way to heaven, (laughs) right? Like we're getting there, (laughs) you know. But through all these years, the one thing that we discovered is that no matter how badly we fought during the week, no matter how mad at each other we were, no matter how separated our hearts became, our, our conflict with one another could never survive a prayer meeting. I mean, like, if we go to church for prayer meeting on Wednesday night, by the end of prayer meeting, we're holding hands, and we got our arms around each other, and we're crying, and we're loving one another. We go home, everything's fine. We might get in another fight on Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Then we go back to church on Sunday morning. We got Sunday shift, our pre-service prayer. And by the end of pre-service prayer, before the service even starts, we're inching closer to one another, and then we're holding hands, and we're crying. Like, our conflict can't survive the presence of the Lord. It happens in the intermission. In the intermission, so much can transpire in the intermission. But if we end the intermission, if we recognize how powerful it is simply to end the intermission and simply to turn our hearts back to the Lord, pray without intermission, pray without ceasing, without stopping. And I just have to be aware at times that I've allowed my heart to get distracted. And I I find this is one of the most difficult commands for me to obey. I find it all the time, even when I, you know, assume the position and get on my knees and close my eyes and begin to pray, I'm frequently distracted and my mind wanders and I'm like, oh, Lord, I was distracted again. I'm so sorry, Lord. There was a little intermission, even my in, in even in my intentional time of prayer. How much more in my daily life am I constantly pulled into a demonic intermission? Paul says, in the intermission, pray without ceasing. And then he gives us the final key, and this is the most important key. He says, in everything, give thanks. In Ponte Eucharistate. In Ponte Eucharistate. In everything, give thanks. Notice Paul doesn't say, for everything, give thanks. The preposition is important. In everything, give thanks. Not for everything, 
give thanks. I don't thank God for sickness, but I can thank him in sickness. I don't thank God for conflict, but I can thank him in conflict. I don't thank God for the loss of a loved one, but I can thank him in the midst of dealing with the loss of a loved one. In everything, give thanks. The primary act of discernment in the midst of trouble is the identification of that which is thankworthy. The ability to find something to thank God for in the midst of trouble. This is your most important spiritual discipline. If you can find something to thank God for, you see, actually in our experience, these three commands move backward. If you start by identifying something to give thanks for, the moment you begin to give thanks, you're praying. This is how you end the intermission. And the moment you begin to pray the prayer of thanksgiving, you find that your heart begins to rejoice in the Lord. You can rejoice always and pray without ceasing if you make the fundamental decision to give thanks in all circumstances. Psalm 95.2 says, To enter into his presence with thanksgiving. You see, thanksgiving is what gives us access to the presence of the Lord. And when we neglect thanksgiving, what we are actually neglecting is the presence of the Lord. And so often we go long periods of time without experiencing the presence of the Lord because we go long periods of time without giving him thanks for anything. I was thinking of this this situation in Luke chapter 17 where there were these ten lepers... And there were these two encounters with Jesus in this passage of Scripture, Luke 17, 11 and following. In the first encounter with Jesus, ten lepers make a request, a petition. They're asking Jesus for something. Have mercy on us. Heal us of our leprosy. But it says they stood afar off. In their petition, they stood far away from Jesus. Jesus is over there across the street and we're over here on the other side of the street and we're offering our petition. We often experience ourselves as distance from the Lord in the midst of our petition. We ask and we ask and we ask, but have you noticed that you never feel really deeply close to the Lord in the midst of your asking? And he answers from afar. Go, show yourselves to the priests. They got the answer to their request, but the answer to their request distanced them even further from the presence of Jesus. Until one of them, a Samaritan, realized that he was healed and turned around and ran back to Jesus with one thing in his mind and heart. I've got to give him thanks in the midst of this circumstance. And it says he ran right up and fell down at the feet of Jesus. In his petition, he's across the street. In his thanksgiving, he's right at his feet. When we live by petition, we live across the street from Jesus. But when we live by thanksgiving, we live right at the feet of Jesus. That's why it says enter into his courts with thanks, into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You don't enter into his gates with petition. And what happens when we make petition 
after petition, 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 as we feel this ever-widening gulf between ourselves and God. It seems like the more I ask, the further he gets from me. And after a while, I start feeling like maybe God is getting sick and tired of hearing me ask for stuff. And then I start feeling guilty. You know what? I think I want too much. I think I'm asking for too much. I think I'm petitioning too much. I think the Lord is sick and tired. Maybe the Lord doesn't like my heart. Maybe I've got a wrong heart. Maybe I'm selfish and I'm self-centered. And then we start judging ourselves. And then we start feeling shame. And then we start feeling like I need to ask for less. I need to want less. I need to want less because I want too much. I just need to be humble and I just need to be, I just need to be okay with what I've got. And then all of a sudden we're in this place of deep dissatisfaction in our relationship with God. And now we feel guilty about that. And now our dissatisfaction leads to sadness. It leads to grief. And now I go from wanting more to weeping more. And I start feeling like I need to want less and I need to weep less. Lord, help me to want less. Lord, help me to weep less. And we don't realize that even asking the Lord to help me to want less and to weep less is still asking him for something. Lord, would you help me? I ask you to help me to stop asking you for so much. This is the word of the Lord to you today. You don't have to want less. You don't have to weep less. You just have to thank more. Do you get that? You don't have to want less. You can want as much as you want. Matter of fact, you can want more. You don't have to weep less. You can weep as much as you want. Matter of fact, you can weep more. You just have to think more. This is the key to joy, is ensuring that your thankfulness exceeds your desires. So that when I sense that my desire is bigger than my thanksgiving, I simply broaden the circle of my thanksgiving. My desires have to rest within my thanksgiving. And if my desires are too big to fit within the boundaries of my thanksgiving, I got to widen the boundaries of my thanksgiving. I got to enlarge the place of my tent. I got to lengthen my cords and strengthen my stakes. I got to stretch out to the right and to the left. I've got to allow my descendants to dispossess nations and inhabit their desolate cities with my thanksgiving. I need to thank more. I wake up in the morning. I got to thank more. Why am I feeling this? I know what it is. I haven't thanked God for anything in the midst of this yet. If I could just begin to thank God in the midst of this, if I can begin to find a reason to give God thanks, all of a sudden what I begin to experience is the presence of the Lord. And one of the greatest problems in the body of Christ is that we make so little of the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is so unimportant to us, so irrelevant to us. I went through a difficult season in the last year. And one morning I was crying out to the Lord, Lord, I've lost everything. Everything has been taken from me. I've lost everything. I have nothing. And the Lord responded to me so graciously, but yet with such pain in his heart. 
And he said, you think I'm nothing? And I realized that that very prayer presupposed that either he's not with me or the fact that he's with me means nothing. And I said, Lord, you're with me all the time. That word I got from the Lord began a transformation in my heart and mind. I began to understand the presence of the Lord as a greater reality than something that happens at the altar that makes you fall, shake, rattle, and roll. It's something more than what happens in the midst of a song that makes your hand twitch like this and makes your eye twitch and makes you shake. The presence of the Lord does more than make you roll around and get lint in your hair. We can make much of the manifest presence, but we make so little of the indwelling presence. And the indwelling presence never leaves us. You wake up in the middle of the night, God is there. You wake up in the morning, God is there. You walk through your day, God is there. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. At times you walk through seasons in which you feel like you've lost all honor, but you can't lose all honor when God is with you. There is no greater honor than God living in me. Amen. That's okay, you can go black for a second. I need an organist up here. Paul says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. And then he says, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This, Paul says, is the will of God. You know why I think he said that? Because I think Paul probably got like a thousand emails from like Philippian Christians, Thessalonian Christians, sorry, I was in Thessalonian, going, can you tell me what the will of God for my life is? I'm really praying about the will of God. Is it the will of God for me to marry this person that I'm dating? Is it the will of God for me to live in this city? Is it the will of God for me to attend this school? Is it the will of God for me to go into ministry? Is it the will of God for me to keep this job or quit this job? Is it the will of God for me to move to this country? Is it the will of God? What's the will of God? I want to know. So Christians, this is how, this is how most Christians live their lives. wonder what the will of God is. And Paul writes this. I think Paul is thinking, it's not about who you date, fool. It's not about where you live. Yes, yeah, secondarily, it's about that stuff. But who cares if you marry the wrong person, but you don't know how to rejoice always? Who cares if you're living in the right city, but you don't know how to pray without ceasing? Who cares if you found the right job or the right career or the right profession, but you don't know how to give thanks in all circumstances. There's too many Christians living in the right place and doing the right thing, but got no joy in their hearts. Don't have five minutes of prayer to rub together and got nothing to give thanks. Miserable Christians in the right place. You're out of the will of God. In the right place out of the will of God. This is the will 
of God for you in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God. And you've got to understand, why is Paul on his way to Rome? Because he went to Jerusalem when everybody prophesied to him, don't you go to Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be in chains there. The prophet Agabus prophesied it. Philip's four virgin daughters prophesied it. Every city he went to, every church. I don't know about you, but if it were me, and I was on the way to to Jerusalem, and every church that I stopped in on the way, random prophets came to me and said, don't go to Jerusalem. I would probably assume the Lord probably doesn't want me to go to Jerusalem. What I'm saying is, now it could be that Paul knew something that those prophets didn't know. Maybe it was God's will for him to go to Jerusalem. Maybe it wasn't God's will for him to go to Jerusalem. Who knows? You know what I hear Paul saying? doesn't matter. You know what matters? That I rejoice always. That I pray without ceasing. And that in everything, I give thanks. No matter what comes or goes, this is what it means to live my life unto the Lord and not unto men. Wherever I am, whatever I do, I can rejoice always. I can pray without ceasing. I can give thanks in all circumstances. Can I do it perfectly? Nah. Nah. I don't. Sorry. I wish I did. I wish I could stand here and say, I got this one down. That's why I'm preaching to you because I've got this one down. All of you little people need to learn this. No, no, no. I'm still learning this. I think probably Paul was learning it as well. I think Paul was writing like, this is what I'm striving to do. This, this is what I'm working on before the Lord right now. Staying in the will of God. Not denying my pain. Not pretending it's not there. Not denying my struggle. Not pretending it's not there. Not trying to shift. So busy trying to shift. That's not what it's about. I've got to walk through whatever I've got to walk through. But in the midst of it, I'm going to find my way back to joy. I'm going to find my way back to prayer. And I'm going to find my way back to thanksgiving. And as I do, I'm going to find my way back to the will of God. Let's pray. Somebody come to the keyboard. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you are in this place. I speak your blessing over each and every heart, over each and every mind, over each and every soul. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a deep work in our heart. As you're calling us back to the will of God. Lord, I confess to you today that the one I have the most trouble with is praying without ceasing. So hard for me. My mind is so often distracted by so many things. I'm often like Martha 
when you're calling me to be like Mary. Lord, maybe there's others in this place today who say, the one that's a struggle for me is rejoicing. I can't rejoice for nothing. I thought it was just because I was a pessimist. Maybe there's others here today who'd say, the one that's most difficult for me is thanksgiving. And maybe somebody else would say, all three of these are difficult for me. But Lord, the beautiful thing is that when you speak to us and call us to anything, you never expect us to fulfill it by our own power, by our own strength. And whenever you give us a command, an exhortation, you're extending your hand. And you're saying, if you would take my hand and trust me, I'll teach you how to do this. And so, Lord, I confess in the presence of all of my brothers and sisters today that if you don't help me, I'm lost. If you don't help me, I'm lost. I need you to help me do this. Apart from you, I'm lost. So, Holy Spirit, would you come and help? Would you help me? I just invite each and every one of you today just to begin to pray that prayer. Lord, if you don't help me, I'm lost. Whatever it is that you need help with. If you don't help me, I'm lost. I need your help today, God. I'm asking you to help me. I'm asking you to help me rejoice in you. I'm asking you to help me to pray without ceasing. I'm asking you to help me to give thanks in all circumstances. I'm asking you to help me to come back into the will of God asking you to empower my will. I'm asking you to break down my disillusionment and my fear. I'm asking you to give me understanding. I'm asking you to bring me into the sanctuary. I'm asking you to renew my hope. Lord, we depend on you. Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you today. God, we need you today. I need you every hour. But I thank you that you said, if anyone comes unto me, I will by no means cast him out. You said, come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and God some of us here today are carrying a yoke that is hard and a burden that is heavy and I pray today that you would replace the hard yoke with the easy yoke and the heavy burden with the light burden we cast all our cares and sorrows upon you today because you care for us. Spirit of the living God, I ask you to fall on every soul, on every heart, on every mind, 
and bring a refreshing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hmm. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Just let that refreshing flow bring peace. Close up every wound, oh God. Close up every wound. Lord, some of us here today are bleeding. We're bleeding, but God, you can close up our wound. The scripture says you heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. You heal the brokenhearted. The scripture says you're close to the brokenhearted and save such as trust in you. Mighty God, I pray that you would draw near to the brokenhearted today. You determine the number of the stars and call them each by name. We wait for you today. You were the God who said, why do you say, O Jacob? And why do you speak, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord, that my just cause is passed over by my God? Have you not heard? Have you not known? Has it not been told you from the beginning that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives strength to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall fall, and young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Mighty God, I pray that you would strengthen every soul that waits upon you today. And we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.